me ask you a question. <clears throat> what is powerful? If you were going to define powerful or if you were going to describe powerful, what is that? Now, it's an interesting question because I'm sure that each person here would have a, a different perspective on it. Many of us would probably lean toward the things we've seen happen in our world. Like, so we might say, well, a tidal wave is powerful, or an electrical storm is powerful, or a tornado is powerful, and on and on and on we could go. But as I was preparing for this message, I looked something up. Did you know that volcanoes release a mind-blowing amount of energy? In fact, the well-known volcano that erupted in 1980, Mount St. Helens, when it erupted, it released 24 megatons of thermal energy, seven of which was a direct result of the blast. Now, those 24 megatons is the equivalent of 1,600 times the size of the atomic bomb that was dropped on Hiroshima. Now, the atomic bomb that was dropped on Hiroshima is the equivalent of 15,000 tons of TNT, and when it was dropped, it destroyed for a four-square-mile <coughs> four uh, part of the city and instantly killed 80,000 people. And a volcano, or at least Mount St. Helens, was 1,600 times that amount of power. But the truth is that really pales in comparison to the amount of power, the amount of energy that is found in a hurricane. The energy that it is expelled in a hurricane is equivalent to 200 times the total electrical generating power or capacity of the entire world. So a hurricane has 200 times the generating power of the entire world. In fact, during its cycle, a hurricane can expend as much energy as 10,000 nuclear bombs. And we're just talking about an average hurricane. We're not talking about a hurricane like Katrina. Now, when you think about those things, they're, they're mind-boggling. In fact, we can't really wrap our mind around how much power those things have. And yet, they don't hold a candle to the power that Jesus has. In fact, the power that Jesus has in his little bitty finger is way more than, they, than any of those things. Any more, way more than a hurricane, a volcano, uh, a nuclear bomb, an atomic bomb. Jesus has so much more power than they do. In fact, Jesus is the one who spoke all things into existence. Jesus is the one who holds all things together. In Colossians 1, talking about Jesus, verses 15 through 17, it says, Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. For through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things we can see and the things we can't see, such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him. He existed before anything else, and he holds all creation together. Please hear me this morning. Jesus, Lord of our lives, is all-powerful. 
He has more power than we can comprehend. He is beyond what we could possibly even come up with when it comes to the power that he has at his disposal. And the reason I mention that is because I think far too many of us need to learn the lesson that the disciples learned at the end of chapter 4 in the book of Mark. So the end of chapter 4 in the book of Mark, we see this lesson the disciples are learning on the Sea of Galilee as they are in a boat. Let me read it to you. 35 through 41. As evening came, Jesus said to his disciples, let's cross to the other side of the lake. So they took Jesus in the boat and started out, leaving the crowds behind, although other boats followed. But soon a fierce storm came up. High waves were breaking into the boat, and it began to fill with water. Jesus was sleeping at the back of the boat with his head on a cushion. The disciples woke him up shouting, Teacher, don't you care that we're going to drown? When Jesus woke up, he rebuked the wind and said to the waves, Silence, be still. Suddenly the wind stopped, and there was a great calm. Then he asked them, What are you why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? And the disciples were absolutely terrified. Who is this man? They asked each other. Even the wind and waves obey him. Jesus is in this boat, and we've all heard this story before, and it is getting swamped, and it's about to go under, and the disciples wake him up, and Jesus talks to the wind and the waves, and he says, Silence! And in my mind, I see the Sea of Galilee like glass. Nothing, not a ripple, not movement, nothing. Absolute, complete silence and stillness. And the disciples see that and they are terrified. And they ask themselves, who is this man that he can control even nature itself? Let me ask you a question. What about you and me? Are we in awe of the power of Jesus? Are we, as it were, terrified by what Jesus can do? Have we really come face to face with the incalculable power that our Lord possesses? Do we really understand it? Have we really grasped it? Or do we need to learn the same lessons that, this, that these disciples on this boat learned? In John chapter 14, Jesus says, I tell you the truth, anyone who believes in me will do the same things I have done and even greater works because I am going to be with the Father. Jesus says, if you believe in him, you will do even greater things than he has done. Jump over to Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20, a verse we've read many times before. Now all glory to God who is able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. We were told in Ephesians 3 that because of God's mighty power working within us, He can accomplish more than we could even dream up. We could even ask for. Or go with me to 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, where it says, By His divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. By His divine power, God has provided for you and for me everything we need so that our lives can be lived for Him, godly for Him, to accomplish all that He has called us to do 
for him and through him. In fact, as I was preparing this sermon, I found this quote. Oswald Chambers writes this, Beware of worshiping Jesus as the Son of God and professing your faith in him as the Savior of the world while you blaspheme him by, completely, by the complete evidence in your daily life that he is powerless to do anything in and through you. I love what Oswald Chambers says. Oswald, <coughs> excuse me. Oswald Chambers says, hey, beware of proclaiming the mighty power of Jesus Christ and then living your life as if he has no power at all. Beware. Don't do such a thing as that. Mark, Mark Galley tells the following story in his book, Jesus Mean and Wild. He said a group of Laotian refugees who had been attending the Sacramento church that he preached at approached him after the service one Sunday and asked to become members. Our church had sponsored them, he said, and they had been attending the church, but only for a few months, and they only had a rudimentary understanding of the Christian faith. So he suggested to them, hey, let's study the Gospel of Mark together for a few weeks, and they jumped at the chance. Now, despite their lack of Christian knowledge, or maybe because of it, the Bible studies were some of the most interesting I'd ever led, he said. After we read the passage in which Jesus calms the storm, I began, as I usually did, with more theologically sophisticated groups. I asked them, what about the storms in your lives? They were puzzled. They looked at each other. They said, so I elaborated. I said, what about the storms, the problems, the worries, the troubles, the crises that they are in your life? The story teaches us that Jesus can give us peace in the midst of those storms. So what are your storms, I ask? And again, there was silence, puzzled silence. And finally, one of the men hesitantly asked, well, do you mean that Jesus actually calmed the wind and the sea in the middle of a storm? I thought he was finding the story incredulous and I didn't want to get in to miracles. So I replied, yes, but we should not get hung up on the details of this miracle. We should remember that Jesus can calm the storms of our lives. Another stretch of awkward silence ensued. And finally, one of them replied, well, if Jesus calmed the wind and the waves, he must be a powerful man. And at this, they all nodded vigorously and chattered excitedly in their, to one another in Lao. Except for me, the room was full of wonder, and I suddenly realized that they grasped the story better than I did. I want you to think about that. They grasped the story better than he did. They understood the power of Jesus. They were in wonder and awe of the power of Jesus. They couldn't consume their excitement about the power of Jesus. And my question is, have we grasped the power of Jesus? It's easy to say, well, I believe in the power of Jesus, but have we grasped it? Is it making a difference in our lives? Are we in awe of what he can do? In order to answer that question, I think we need to go through the entire chapter of Mark chapter 4. Because in there, I think we are told, we are giving these examples of, of ways that we show that we actually have grasped the power of Jesus. 
So I want to start off with the first parable Jesus proclaims here in our text. And Jesus tells the story of the farmer who scatters seed. And you remember there are four soils, the path and the rocky and the thorny and the good. He tells this parable and the disciples are misunderstanding or don't grasp completely what he's saying. And so he explains it to them. And this is what he, how he explains it. Verse 14 through 20. Jesus says, the farmer plants seed by taking God's word to others. The seed that fell on the footpath represents those who hear the message only to have Satan come at once and take it away. The seed on the rocky soil represents those who hear the message and immediately receive it with joy. But since they don't have deep roots, they don't last long. They fall away as soon as they have problems or are persecuted for believing God's word. The seed that fell among the thorns represents others who hear God's word. But all too quickly, the message is crowded out by the worries of this life, the lure of wealth and the desire for other things. So no fruit is produced. And the seed that fell in the good soil represents those who hear and accept God's word and produce a harvest of 30, 60 or even 100 times as much as had, as, as had been planted. And we look at this text, we're all familiar with it. We've all heard this parable before and we think to ourselves, well, well, what does this have to do with the power of Jesus? Well, the truth is, I believe this has everything to do with the power of Jesus and whether or not we have grasped it or not. See, because if we grasp the power of Jesus, then we share the good news. If we grasp the power of Jesus, we share the good news news. I want you to understand that Jesus is talking about this farmer and this farmer is supposed to be us. And the farmer's main responsibility is to scatter seed. And scattering seed was merely taking God's word to others. The farmer is really not responsible for the condition of the soil in this parable. Now, if we have the opportunity to help someone remove a rock from their soil or remove some weeds from their soil, we can do that. We should do that. But our main responsibility is to take God's word to them, to share with them the good news about what God has done for us. The truth is, if we truly believe Jesus is all-powerful, then we will share the good news with other people. If we believe Jesus has all the power, then the fear that usually keeps us from proclaiming who He is will be done away with, and we will proclaim who He is. In fact, we see this in Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4, here we go. It says, So they called the apostles back in and commanded them never again to speak or teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, do you think God wants us to obey you rather than him? We cannot stop telling about everything we have seen and heard. Let me ask you a question, is that you? You can't stop telling people about what you've seen and heard. You can't stop telling people what, about what Jesus has done in your life. Are you that person that when you go to work and people are talking, you are continuously bringing Jesus up? When you go to school, you're constantly telling others about how Jesus has helped you through this situation or that situation. When you find people in need, you're the person who tells them, hey, I know how to solve your need, or at least your greatest need. And you lead them to Jesus Christ through the good news. Listen, if we're not spreading the seed, then we don't believe in the power of Jesus. 
If you believe in the power of Jesus, you are going to spread the seed of the good news. You are going to let people know about the good news. Timothy Johnson is a preacher at Redeemer Church of the Redeemer in Maryland. He was going on a trip, and so he had to go to the Baltimore-Washington International Airport. And as like any other person who goes to the airport, he had to go through the security screening. And so as he was putting his stuff down to be uh, screened, the, the screener politely asked him to uh, step back and resist the urge to reach out and help him. And so the screener began to poke and unload things, unzip the pockets on his bag, feel the lining of the bag. And as he's doing this, Timothy recognized or noticed that the man was wearing a ring on his right hand, and the ring was a silver cross. He mentioned it to him. The man looked at him briefly, and then he continued to search his bag. And while he was searching his bag, he said, yeah, the ring, it means I'm a follower of Jesus. You know, in my job, one of the things we worry about is dynamite. But do you know where the word comes from? It is from the Greek word dunamis, which means power. As a Christian, I know that all of the power belongs to God. That's why he sent Jesus. So while I'm doing my job, I know that he is doing his job. That's where I put all my trust. It all belongs to him, and he is here with us. And then after looking at his bag, he said, well, Mr. Johnson, have a great trip. And Timothy said this, he said, I walked away with a smile thinking about how this man had so naturally risen to the opportunity to share his faith. It certainly wasn't the place for an extended conversation. There was a long line of people behind me and he had plenty of work to do. But in less than 30 seconds, he spoke about his faith to a total stranger, calmly, confidently, and without hesitation. Let me ask you, is, is that you? Is that you? You share your faith even with a total stranger? It should be you. It should be me. If I believe in the all-powerful Jesus as Lord of my life, then there should be nothing that stops me from proclaiming the all-powerful Jesus to those around me. So we start here at this first parable. If we grasp Jesus' power, then we share the good news with others. But there's a few more parables we need to look at. Mark chapter 4, verse 21. Would anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket or under a bed? Of course not. A lamp is placed on a stand where its light will shine. Now, I don't know about you, but that sounds very familiar to me. In fact, in Matthew chapter 5, it, it talks about that as well. It says, Jesus says, you are the light of the world, like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. I want you to understand that this is speaking to us. Jesus is speaking to us. He has demonstrated His power at the end of this chapter, but through this chapter, He is speaking to us. And if we grasp His power then we will, in fact, shine for the Lord. We will tell others about the Lord, and then we will shine for the Lord. We will shine. Jesus is expecting us as His followers to be visibly different than our world, 
to shine in the darkness that is all around them, to be a beacon of hope, to be leading people to the truth and to the hope that we have found in him. Now, I want to caution you. Jesus is not expecting us to, to show that by dressing different. I mean, I mean, you can dress different. If they're dressing appropriately, dress differently. Huh? That's, that's not what we're talking about here. We're not talking about dress or car or houses. We're not talking about that. What we're talking about is how we live, the things we do, the way in which we live. That's what we're talking about here. Jesus is saying you need to be so different that people recognize there's something different about you. There's something different about you. In fact, I like how Paul illustrates it in Philippians 2. This is what Paul says, do everything without complaining and arguing so that no one can criticize you. Live clean, innocent lives as children of God, shining like bright lights in a world full of crooked and perverse people. I love what Paul puts in here. Paul puts in here this. Stop complaining and arguing. Essentially, Paul is saying, hey, the way in which you deal with one another, that speaks volumes to the world around you. You should be dealing with one another differently. You, you should be marked by a clean life and a life that is free from sinfulness. In fact, people should see something different in you and in me. In fact, I love what Will Rogers says. Will Rogers says, live so that you wouldn't be ashamed to sell the family parrot to the town gossip. <laughs> live so that you wouldn't be ashamed to sell the family parrot to the town gossip. To look the same is not shining. You can't shine and look like everyone else. To speak the same is not shining. To have the same priorities is not shining. To have the same goals is not shining. If you want to shine for the Lord, you've got to act differently and you're going to stand out. If you believe that Jesus is all-powerful, then you will be willing to stand out and look different for Him. First parable, we grasp the power of Jesus by proclaiming the good news. Second parable, we grasp the power of Jesus by shining in the, in the dark world around us. Third parable found in Mark 26 through 29. The kingdom of God is like a farmer who scatters seed on the ground night and day. While he's asleep or awake, the seed sprouts and grows, but he does not understand how it happens. The earth produces the crop on its own. First a leaf blade pushes through, then the heads of wheat are formed, and finally the grain ripens. And as soon as the grain is ready, the farmer comes and harvests it with a sickle, for the harvest time has come. This third parable may be a little bit harder to understand as far as the power of Jesus, and yet it speaks of the power of Jesus. Because when we grasp what Jesus is communicating here, we realize that what he's saying is, if you trust in me, I mean, if you, if you have uh, grasped the power I have, then you will, we will live trusting God. Trusting God for the increase in the church. You know what? So many times, I've done it, I've, I've read many, many articles, been to, to seminars, did online seminars, all about church growth. You need to do this if you want to have the church grow. You need to do that if you want to have the church grow. You need to be involved in this and those and every other thing there is for the church to grow. But the truth is... 
What you and I need to do is the first two things. We need to tell people about Jesus, and we need to shine in the darkness. And then we need to let church growth be the Lord's dominion. He's the one who provides growth. I don't have to understand everything about growth for the Lord to provide growth. We spend enormous amounts of time trying to understand growth instead of doing the things that actually cause growth and allowing God to provide for the growth. In Acts chapter 2, the early church did this. 46 through 47, they worshiped together at the temple each day. They met in, in homes for the Lord's Supper and shared their meals with great joy and generosity all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And listen to what it says. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. These people, they, they lived out their faith. They proclaimed the good news. They, they were shining brightly in the darkness around them. And God was giving them the increase. And to be quite honest, this third parable really leads directly in to the fourth parable which is 30 and 32, and it says this, How can I describe the kingdom of God? What story should I use to illustrate it? It is like a mustard seed planted in the ground. It is the smallest of all seeds, but it comes the largest of all garden plants. It grows long branches, and birds can make nests in its shade. The third parable we grasp if we grasp Jesus' power, we trust God for the increase. The fourth parable, if we grasp Jesus' power, we are faithful without sight. I want you to understand, that's what Jesus is explaining. At least as I understand it, that's what Jesus is saying here. Jesus is telling us sometimes the kingdom starts so small you can barely see it. Sometimes the, the influence we have is so small, we can't even tell it's there. It has this very humble beginning. But then, if we continue to be faithful, it grows, and it grows, and it grows into something that, has magni that is magnificent. It's so easy for us to feel that all we, all we do is having little or no effect on people. It's so easy for us to get discouraged. It's so easy for us to say, well, I just give up. Everything I'm doing is making no difference in the people around me. But according to this parable, you need to understand sometimes you cannot see the movement that is going on in people's lives. But if you're faithful, eventually you will see the results. It will bring results. In fact, I like how Hebrews 11 describes or defines faith. Hebrews 11. Now, faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. By faith, we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is visible was not made out of, or yeah, what is visible. What is seen was not made out of what was visible. We're told that faith is believing and acting on that belief without being able to see. It's having confidence without knowing all the whys and the hows. Faithfulness is what our responsibility is. All the other things are not our responsibility. Faithfulness is. 
Do we believe in the power of Jesus so completely that even when we can't see how we can accomplish the calling he has given us, we attempt it anyway? Do we believe in the power of Jesus so much that even when we cannot comprehend how he could possibly do that through us, with us, we, 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 we jump out there in faith anyway? Because we know he has all the power. In fact, I would encourage you to understand this. You cannot please Jesus and live by sight. You can only please Jesus if you live without sight. Living by sight means it is too late. If you have not lived for Jesus until you have sight, then you have come face to face with Jesus as judge over your life. And if you've not made a decision for him by then, it is too late. You have to decide now to live without sight, to have faith without sight, to move forward without sight. And that's what Jesus is calling for us to do here. Live without sight. Sight does not draw us closer to Jesus. Faithfulness draws us closer to Jesus. I've heard over and over again in my life, well, seeing is believing. That is untrue. Jesus says, believe without seeing. Have faith and move forward without all the answers. That's what I'm looking for. See, to grasp the power of Jesus, to realize that Jesus is all-powerful, is for us to be changed completely. If we realize that Jesus is all-powerful, then we share the good news without hesitancy. We, we look different. We shine in the dark. We, we trust God for the increase. We walk by faith and not by sight. When we come to Jesus and we realize how powerful He is, none, nothing is going to stop us for living for him. Colin Smith is the preacher at Arlington Heights Evangelical, Evangelical Free Church in Illinois, and he says this. He says, I have a vivid memory. As a kid, my father took me to the auction, and when we got there, he told me, do not scratch your nose at the wrong time, son. And then he said, always remember this, whatever you go, whenever you go to the auction sale, make sure that you know your upper limit price. He, he beat that into me, Colin says. In fact, that's ingrained in me, Colin says. But then he goes on and he says, the great danger for us is that we walk into the Christian life knowing clearly our upper limit. Jesus does not allow us to set that limit, he says. If you save your life, you will lose it. But if you lose your life for my sake and for the gospel, you will keep it said Jesus. Colin says, our calling is to live a life of unconditional obedience where the price is unknown. I want you to understand that. Our calling is to live a life of obedience where we have no idea how great a price may be called on us to pay. But we're willing to do it no matter what because we understand how great a power our Lord Jesus the Christ has. Have you removed all the limits from your life so that you can walk where the Lord has called you with your life? 
In fact, I want to remind you of a verse we read at the very beginning, at least the beginning of our trek through Mark 4, and Jesus says this, Why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? Now, I know he's talking to the disciples, but I guess he's also talking to us. Why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? We pray with me. Heavenly Father, we come, look at Mark 4. We see the power of Jesus on display. And that is just a little bitty bit of the power that he has. And yet it is terrifying to recognize that he has that power. Lord, I pray that each of us will, will grasp that understanding of who he is. Realize that the Jesus who is Lord of our lives is the Jesus who is Lord over all creation. I pray, Lord, that when we realize the power that Jesus has, that we will be unafraid to share the good news and unashamed to live as bright lights in the darkness of the world around us. I pray, Lord, that we will live in such a way that we will trust that you are the one who provides the increase and we will walk with faithfulness even when we do not see how things could possibly be done. Lord, that's the call. I pray that each of us accept that call, embrace that call, and live in such a way as to proclaim that call to the world around us. Lord, we love you. We're so very thankful for Jesus, almighty creator, holder together of all things who humbled himself and gave himself to us, sacrificing his life on the cross so that we, each one here, could be your child. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to ask you if you would to stand with me. We're going to sing this song, and as we sing this song, I want you to understand this is a song in which you can make some decisions. Now, maybe you're sitting there and you realize, you know what? I've been holding back too much of my life. I've not been set free. I've not been grasping the fact of the power that Jesus has. At least, I've not been living it. Maybe now you need to talk to God about that. Maybe now you need to come and find someone to pray with. Maybe come forward or go to the back. There, someone there to pray with you. Maybe you just share what's going on in your life so that they can pray with you. Maybe now's the time you say, you know what? I just want to give it all to the Lord. I've never confessed Jesus Christ as Lord. I've never come forward and repented of my sin and been immersed so I can rise to this new life, trusting in Him and walking faithfully without sight for Him. Whatever decision won't you make it as we sing uh, our song this morning.